James chapter 5. While you're looking that up, could I say with a good morning this morning? And many people have spoken to me this afternoon and this evening saying they were challenged. Really challenged some of them. And, but they thanked me for it. And uh, I just followed what I felt led in my heart of the Spirit. And the Lord seems to be moving and working in hearts. So uh, you could get a CD or download it. Uh, it should be online very soon, if not already. So the Lord bless you there. James chapter 5, please. And let's just lift two verses. Verse 7 and verse 8. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, a husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and the latter rain. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Father, take your word and wing it to every heart. And we pray that your son would be glorified. Lord, would you fill my mouth with your words and help us, Lord, to see your greatness in your son through your spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name and we ask it for his glory, giving you thanks for everything. Amen. In two verses of James chapter 5 that we have read, verses 7 and verse 8, it's a, there's a whole period there of our biblical heritage, right up until the very moment we're sitting in this evening. And it will last right up until the day when Christ returns in power and glory, great power and glory. And that period is encapsulated within verses 7 and 8. Notice, when we look at it, we see Almighty God in His sovereignty. And He reveals Himself. He makes Himself known. He manifests Himself to mankind, to you and I this evening. First of all, we see Him manifest Himself as, as Father. Notice what it says in verse 7. Be ye patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth. Here James, through the Spirit, shows us that the husbandman is a man who plants, is a man who waits, he's a man who waters, and he's a man who reaps. Let me say it again. He's a man who plants. He's a man who waits. He's a man who waters. And he's a man who waits. And James has given us the liking here of any farmer who goes into his field and waits for this precious fruit to come from the earth. Here but Almighty God is seen in the office or the mode. He is seen as the Father. Notice what our Lord Jesus tells us in John chapter 15 and in verse 1, the Lord Jesus says, I am the true vine. Notice this, and my father is the husbandman. It's the exact same word that James uses here 
in James 5 and verse 7 for husbandmen. The Lord Jesus uses it, and it's the word gigorgos. And it's made from two words that mean this. Ge means land, and it comes from another word, ergo, which means to do. Land and to do. Put together, it makes up this one word where we actually get our English name George from. Our English name George. So if there's a George in the house tonight, your name means husbandman. Your name can mean that you are a farmer, a tiller off the ground, a vine dresser. That's what it means, a vine dresser. So here our Lord says in John 15 and verse 1, I am the true vine. Israel were represented as a vine. They were represented as a vine whose branches have run over the wall as well, speaking of them being scattered. But they were represented as a vine. And the vine is planted in a vineyard. And the planter of the vine in the vineyard, we'll not read it this evening for time's sake, it's found in Matthew chapter 21, when the Lord Jesus, giving one of his kingdom parables, says that his father planted a fruitful vine. That his father planted a vine, it's read in in the book of Isaiah, then it's brought out into Matthew 21, and when he talks about it, the vine is now withered and there's no fruit on it. And he builds a wine press, and he builds a tower, in a wine tower in the midst of it, speaking of the house of David, where the kingly line would come from. So the, the Lord, the Father, Almighty God, is seen as an husbandman who planted Israel the vine. The Lord Jesus says, but I am the vine. In other words, Israel to be a light unto the nations or the Gentiles, they failed miserably in the sense that they sinned before God and God judged them for their sinning. But in the sense that Jesus now comes and fulfills the law and he says, now I am the true vine. Figuratively speaking, he's talking about, I am what Israel were meant to be. I am the true original Israelite. He says, and my father hath planted me. Isaiah tells us that he is a tender plant. That Christ was a tender plant and a root out of a dry ground. And when Isaiah prophesied it, it was 700 to 750 years before Christ was born in Bethlehem. And this little plant, the Father says, would grow up as a root in a dry ground. In other words, when he would grow up, he would be the only thing that had life in himself, that all others would mean nothing but death. And here the religion of these men around Christ was nothing but the religion of death. There's no life in anything, friend, outside of a life in Christ. There's no salvation in any other but in the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's no means nor method for entry to the kingdom of God or heaven upon earth except through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He said, I am the true vine and my Father is the husbandman. And when we are abiding in him, his virtue, his strength, his anointing, his spirit resides and flows from him to us. And we are branches that bring forth fruit. So here we have the Lord saying that he is the true vine. 
and my father is the husbandman. So here, first of all, we see Almighty God as the husbandman or the father. Secondly, we see the son. Now notice this. Verse 7 and verse 8 mentions this twice. Be patient, therefore, brethren, listen, unto the coming of the Lord. The coming of the Lord. Look at verse 8. Be patient, be ye also patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. The coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Here we see the Son. And what is the Son but the manifestation of Almighty God? What is the Son but the visible expression of the Father? What is the Son? The Son is Almighty God, veiled the Word of God in flesh. And here we see him, he says, the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. I see the word here for Lord. It's the word kurios. Kurios, and it means, ready? It means Lord. It means owner. It means master. It means king. It means ruler. And it also means God, Jehovah, or Yahweh, or Messiah, Christ. Okay, so it means all of those things are incorporated into the name Lord or Curios. James in James chapter 1, if you'll flick with me for a moment and look at it, from James chapter 1 and verse 5, notice what it says here. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. The word here for God is the word theos. And it's where we get theology from. It's the teaching about God. Theos means God or the Godhead. In other words, Paul tells us that in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, pointing that Jesus is almighty God clothed in a body of flesh. Here we have him as curios, the visible expression of that one invisible God. Now notice this what he says in James 1 and verse 7 also. For let, not, for let not that man think that the Lord, that he shall receive anything of the Lord. In verse 5, he's speaking of Theos, asking God of wisdom. Now in verse 7, he says, think not he'll receive anything of the Lord or curios. So it's the same person. In other words, it's the same God. That's what we're trying to prove to you tonight, that Jesus Christ is Almighty God himself. He's not just a spiritual guru. He's not just a prophet. He's not just some sort of religious teacher. He's not an ordinary man, a good man, or a great man. He is Almighty God himself who walked among us. So notice this, the link between Theos and Curios. So here we have in Matthew 21, I want to show you something else to strengthen this. In Matthew 21, we have our Lord in his last week before his crucifixion. And in Matthew 21 and verse 9, we read of those who were at the gates of Jerusalem and the streets crying unto him and throwing down their coats and taking down palm leaves and and waving them before him and crying unto him, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh In the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. Notice, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that come. In the name of Curios is the name for Lord there. So what they're saying is, you are the son of David to the flesh. 
but to your deity. You are almighty God himself. And they're blessing Christ as he comes in to Jerusalem. Blessing Messiah, the King of Israel. And that's what they're crying as he goes in the very gates of Jerusalem for the first time. Here's another one for you briefly. Matthew 22 and verse 37. A young man comes and asks the Lord, what is the first and the great commandment? Now listen to the reply of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. Notice what he says. Thou shalt love the Lord, Kurios, thy God, Theos, In other words, he's saying, you shall love the king. You shall love the master. You shall love the true owner. You shall love the one who comes as the expression, who is God, who is from God, God of very God. He says, Theos himself. He says, you should love me. I have something to tell you, friend. If you love the Lord Jesus Christ, if you love the son, that means you're loving the father. If you're loving the son, you're loving him. If you're worshipping the Son, you're worshipping the Father. If you praise the Son, you'll praise the Father. If you have the Son, he says, you'll have the Father. He says, if you have me, you've got the Father. And if you have the Father, then you've got me. Praise his name. This is who our great and almighty God is, the Lord Jesus. Notice this Savior would bleed and die for us. He would die for you. Shed his blood for you. And give us life for you. Here, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. So the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. And in other words, it's close. We're closer now than ever it was. The coming of curios draweth nigh. Or in other words, the coming of the owner. The owner of the vineyard. The owner of Israel, the owner of the universe, the owner of this earth. He says, the coming of the Lord draweth nigh, the coming of Curios, he who will come as a visible expression of the one true and invisible God. He says, he will come and he'll come with great power and glory. This is our God whom we serve. This is to do with a, a harvest message. For when he comes, we hear, we sing. We have told you already about the Lord's harvest. As a husbandman, a gardener, a farmer, a tiller of the soil, as he does that and he waits for the precious fruit and he reaps it, then so will Christ at his coming. He will have a great harvest. The owner, Messiah, the Christ, the master, the son of God, the ruler, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. The Lord Jesus Christ will come for his day of great harvest. Are you ready? Are you saved? Are you ready for the coming of the Lord? Draweth nigh. The word coming here, by the way, is the word parousia or parousia. Some like to pronounce it. Well, pronounce it parousia for, for talk's sake. It means the presence Paul talked to some of the churches about my coming on to you. It's the same word, parousia. Gives the idea of the actual, physical, literal coming of Paul to the church. Paul, as though you come to this church, he walks in the door. 
It's not only in, uh, it's not only in spirit. He's writing his letters. He says, my spirit, as it were, is with you in this letter. And Almighty God, his spirit is with us right now. We understand that. But Paul says, I'm coming in person. And that's the idea of this word parousia. For the coming of the Lord, the parousia of Jesus draweth nigh. First Thessalonians 2 and 19. Listen to what it says. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even, are not even ye in the presence or the parousia of our Lord Jesus Christ at his parousia? In other words, there's said Paul saying, do you know what our joy is? When I see those who are saved and born again of the Spirit, when I see every grain of wheat brought into the garner, Whenever I see every lost sheep brought into the fold, he says, when I see it and Christ comes personally, literally, visibly, and physically, he says, and I will stand before him with you, he says, that is my joy and my crown. Friend, to win souls for Christ is a joy and it is a crown of glory. So let's see this evening what the Lord will do among us and in our own hearts. Here, he says, my joy is to have you in glory. Do you know why us Christians get over the top, as you call it sometimes? Do you know why us Christians like to get excited sometimes? Do you know why we'd spend a Sunday evening coming to sing or, or to preach or to do whatever we do? Do you know why we ask you to meetings? Because the coming of the Lord himself doth nigh. And if the man and the woman are not ready, we're going to look at the harvest. The harvest is the gathering. There's a gathering of the wheat. There's a gathering of the tares. We sang it in the first hymn. The gathering of the tares, the tares are bundled together and burnt in a fire. Notice this. Word parousia means the consequent presence at someone's arrival or their advent of their turning up. Jesus is going to arrive. Jesus himself is going to turn up in person, in the flesh. What will you think that day? Let's even look at the Christians. How will we stand before him that day? Jesus himself in person, face to face. Face to face. Here we have the parousia, the future visible return of Jesus. Look at what Peter says in Second Peter 3 and 12. We are looking for and hasting on to the coming or the parousia, the visible. Notice the actual coming, the consequent presence of someone's arrival. That's what it means, the coming of the day of God. Theos. When you see Jesus, you will see God. For he is God. That's who you'll see. You want to look at God, you look at the face of Christ. And that's who you'll see. So thirdly and lastly, we have the Holy Spirit typified here, which was poured out upon his church the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 3. Notice this here. Verse 7, let's read it. James chapter 5 and verse 7. Be patient therefore, brethren, Unto the coming of the Lord, behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receive 
the early and the latter rain. Until he received the early and the latter rain. Here is symbolic of the Holy Spirit coming upon the precious seed of the earth. In Hosea chapter 6 and verse 3, Hosea 6 and verse 3, we have a picture of the Spirit as the rain that would fall. Listen to what it says. He, that is Almighty God, shall come unto us as the rain. Did you get that? He shall come unto us as the rain, as the latter and former rain unto the earth. So here the prophecy was that Almighty God will come as latter and former rain unto the earth. And how does God come like that? But through his Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost. And it's known as the former rain for the birth of the church as we know it. That is the ecclesia or the called out. So stay with me for a moment till we finish and round this up. Deuteronomy 11 and verse 14. The Lord says to Moses, I will give you the rain of your land in his due season the first rain and the latter rain, that thou mayest gather in thy corn, thy wine, and thine oil. The Lord says, I'm going to give you rain in due season. The due season is the first rain. It's different than the Middle East there uh, and around the uh, Canaan land at that time especially because their, their seasons are different. And so the October rain was the first rain. So the first rains fell around October and the latter rains then fell around March, April time. So what happened was you had the heavy deluge of rain, and then you had a dry period where there was just the odd uh, shower of rain here and there, and it was really quite dry. And then you had another deluge of rain, which was called the latter rain, and it was upon the crop that had grown from the first rain, and it fell around the time of March. The former rain softened the ground, enabled the roots to grow down. The first rain softened it, then started to come up the stalk of wheat or corn or the vine or whatever. But let's stay just with the wheat for a moment. The hard ground and the clods of soil were softened in order that roots may grow down. And as I said, a dry period would ensue, but in the dry periods, it would form knots, little knots in the stalk. In other words, the, 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 the wheat would come up or the corn would come up and through the dryness then where not would be formed and would draw in water off the ground and then if there's no water, more rain, a little sprinkling would come and it would grow again. There's another knot would form and another knot would form and another knot. And I'm told that's to keep it upright. It was to keep the, the wheat or the corn from totally falling flat on the ground. And it strengthened it with these knots. And God had it all planned out in his purpose that this is what he would do. And so these knots were for strength because there would be heaviness in the wheat kernels that would come forth from it. So it would keep it standing erect. Do you know, friends, he does this in our own individual lives, that through our dry periods, that through trial periods, now, through those periods that we don't realize, Lord, what are you doing here? Because my life's a little bit upside down. He's forming, as it were, knots in the stalk. He's already poured a spirit into you that your roots will grow down. But as you start growing up, you don't realize that you're growing. He's just causing you to grow in him. He's strengthening you every step of the way. Then you feel a bit weaker. Then he strengthens you again. And it's to bring you into the full bloom 
into the full picture of his glory and his honor. So here we have the individual lives also that are strengthened that way as well. The former rain hardened hearts to become softened hearts. The former rain hardened or caused religious hearts. The former rain caused hardened hearts to become softened hearts. The former rain caused religious hearts to become relation hearts. The former rain caused the grounding of roots and the shooting up of the church from the day of Pentecost. The former rain, as I said, stopped and the husbandman waited for the former and the latter rain. Do you see the latter rain? You know what it's for? It plumps up the fruit. The latter rain makes it richer. The latter rain gets it prepared. The latter rain that fell, it matured the fruit. It matured the grape. It matured the wheat. And here's the difference. We're told here, and this is my last scripture. Thank you for your attention. Here's, here's, here's the difference. James says in five, chapter 5, verses 7 and 8, that the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth. He's waiting for the harvest. He's waiting for the ingathering. He's waiting for when his son comes and he sends forth his son, he's going to gather in men and women who are true corn of wheat. Notice this. Turn with me, if you have a Bible, please, to Matthew 9. Just a, a, a two scriptures, actually, sorry. Two portions, and we'll, we'll wrap this up. Matthew chapter 9, please. And let's read from Matthew 9, just a two verses, verse 37 and verse 38. Verse 37, the Lord Jesus said, it says, Then he saith unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore of the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth the laborers into his harvest. His harvest was already scattered men and women. His harvest was already to hear the word of God and to receive the Holy Spirit. His harvest is ready this evening. And there's men and women in our nation who are dying without Christ, who are dying without knowing their sins forgiven. And they're there and there's a harvest coming and you're not right before God. Here we're told to be patient, brothers and sisters, for the coming of the Lord doth nigh, for he is patient waiting for the fruit of the earth. Herein is our last portion of Scripture, Matthew 13. Matthew chapter 13. Listen to what the Lord says. He's asked here about a parable. Or he's asked here, he tells a parable, then he's asked the answer of the parable. And let your eye run down, please. The verse 24. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man that sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat, and he went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field from whence then hath it tares? And he saith unto them, An enemy hath done this. And the servant saith unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he, saith, but he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into 
my barn. Flick over for me the first 38. Here the Lord tells us the meaning of this parable. These tares were growing up with the wheat. The tares were called darnell tares or wheat. And darnell tares looked the same. They just looked like everybody else or everything else. And they looked the same, but they started to change. And what happened was they started to turn like a dark brown and a black color, the wheat on the top of it, and not golden the way it should be. And it started to be able to stand up straight even in the wind because there was no weight in it. There's no substance in it. There's no heaviness in it. And it didn't buy over. And the stalks which had the knots were able to stand upright but swayed and bent with the weight of the real corn in the ear. The real corns of wheat in the ear had bent over but didn't break. Do you know what said also, and maybe some farmer or someone who's used to this can tell me, I don't know if it's in the Middle East or where it happens here too. I'm told that whenever there's a field full of this wheat and the wind was blowing, if you listened, you could hear it singing. The wind blowing through it, it sounded like the wheat was singing unto God. See, that's what happens to real wheat. They start to sing unto God. The wind of his spirit blows you and you sing unto God. I notice what our Lord says here, giving the interpretation of this parable. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. Notice this. But the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man, here is Kurios coming. The Son of Man shall stand forth, send forth his angels and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and them which do iniquity and shall cast them into a furnace of fire there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. The initial sowing of the kingdom was the sowing of Israel in the field, which is the world. We know that. We've talked about that a few weeks ago. But here there's a sowing of men and women across our nation that we really, truly need to reach. For they're lost without Christ. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, you're lost without him. Will you be bundled up? Will you be gathered by a big angel one day at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? The coming of the Son of God? At the coming of Kurios, the owner, the master, the king of kings? Will he order his angels to bundle you up? I know how dreadful to cast you to a place of fire where there's willing and gnashing of teeth. That's the Lord's harvest. He gathers his wheat into his garner. The real McCoy, as we would say. That which is blowing in the wind of the Spirit, singing unto him. Who has a relationship with Jesus. Where would you be, friend? Where would you be? We're here to speak to you. We love your soul. We love you in the Lord. 
We're here to speak to you should you want to talk to any of us. The Lord bless his word to all of our hearts this evening. The Lord richly bless you.